0: Welcome to another episode of Thermochromia. I actually am not sure which episode number this is. Three, four? I think we're rolling along at a pretty good little pace, having a show about every two weeks, which is working out pretty well. And I like this because it kind of works with my schedule. (laughs) Which is pretty awesome. Thank you to everybody who has uh, been listening so far. Um, I really appreciate your support. Um, if you guys want to reach out to me through Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or however you want to get in touch with me, I'm Cricut Shea, pretty much everywhere you can find me. Um, so welcome to Thermochromia. You got Cricket here. Um, as you know, this podcast is about... Um, people who were raised in high control environments who um, are dealing with neurodivergences, uh, mental illnesses, and we're kind of exploring how the high control environment that they were raised in um, is actually um, affecting their neurodivergences or as we call them here on the show, your mental spiciness because you have a spicy brain. Um, So, I would like to bring our guest on, um, this is Morgan and they are going to tell us a little bit about how they were raised, how it affects everything. And, uh, we'll go along with the story. So Morgan, introduce yourself, uh, give us your name, your pronouns, what you do, and kind of your various brands of mental spiciness. Absolutely.
1: Thank you so much for having me on Cricket. Of course. Um, I'm Morgan. I use they, them pronouns, and I am a microbiologist. Um, I specifically work with chronic wasting disease uh, for the state of Arkansas, Um, and I have ADHD and complex post-traumatic stress disorder.
0: Sounds like so much fun. So much fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, One question that I ask all of my guests is, we know that a lot of neurodivergent people have issues with food. Uh, That seems to be kind of a big thing. And I apologize. If you can hear my kid yelling in the background, I told them that that I was doing a podcast, and they decided that now was the time to be very, very loud on their video game. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so i apologize that's
1: perfectly
2: fine
0: <laughs> but morgan we know that a lot of neurodivergent people have issues with food so what is one food that you hated as a kid but that you can eat now or alternately what food can you absolutely not eat because of texture
1: i actually have an answer for both of those um, as a kid i absolutely could not eat leftovers just in general Um, The texture was always different than when it was first cooked, and it was not something I could ever handle. Um, Now, as somebody that's living alone and an adult and has a very busy job, I basically live on leftovers. (laughs) Um, But uh, as an adult, I absolutely cannot eat sushi. Really? Um, Yeah, fried sushi, that sort of thing is fine. cannot do cold rice.
0: So it's the rice that that gets you, it's not the actual fish, it's the rice. I
1: think it's also
0: the fish, honestly, (laughs) but uh,
1: even, like, baked uh, sushi, can't really do that. I have to have a little bit of, like, crunch to it still. Uh Uh-huh. So, like, the fried sushi, perfectly fine with me. Can't do, like, your regular rolls or anything like that.
0: Wow, that is, like, crazy, because I love sushi.
1: (laughs) (laughs) my my partner does as well and so uh when he's just like oh yeah let's go get sushi I'm like sure (laughs) there's something I'll find there
0: (laughs) I know that um I've got kids my my specific food thing was when I was a kid I ate nothing but peanut butter and like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, that's the only thing I would mm-hmm. touch as a kid. Like to the point that my mother took me to the uh, pediatrician to make sure I was still healthy because the only thing I would eat was peanut butter and jelly. And um, understandable. Yeah, so he like pinched my arm and told my mom, "Yeah, she's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's got fat on her. She's fine. It's okay." <laughs> she's eating. Yeah, so she's fine. <laughs> exactly, she's eating. So uh, tell me, okay. Morgan let's let's kind of get into this just a little bit um and again I want to caution everybody that is uh that is listening to the podcast right now uh just remember Morgan and I are not well let me let me rephrase I am not a medical professional um I am not a therapist I'm not licensed for mental health in any way any advice that you hear on this show is 100 percent opinion based on treatments that I have received throughout my life from various medical professionals. Um, so anything that you hear on this show, you definitely need to talk with your doctor or your specific therapist about before it's something that you apply to your own life, because what works for me may not work for everybody else. And you have to be really careful about doing that sort of thing with, uh, with mental health because everybody's a little bit different. Um, so you can use somebody's treatment to kind of help guide your own, but definitely don't think that what works for one person is going to work for the second one, because most of the time it doesn't. Um, I also want to, um, and I didn't do this in the in the uh, introduction, and I apologize, I want to give a generalized trigger warning uh, for these episodes, uh, because we are dealing with um, stories around high control environments um, as... My uh, interviewees are, are children are growing up, and, and a lot of times they're in high-control environments uh, when they're adults. Um, these environments uh, tend to be abusive, and we will be discussing things like spiritual abuse, uh, physical abuse, um, assault. Um, so just pe- please be wary and be aware that these subjects will come up during this podcast, during Morgan's story, if you prefer to not be... Um, If you prefer to not have those things, you know, told to you, then uh, I I would suggest um, skipping this particular episode. Uh, But we will have trigger warnings before any stories that Morgan tells, so they will, um, they'll let us know kind of when anything is coming up. So Morgan, tell me a little bit about how you were raised. Uh, Were your parents supportive of you? Were they strict, authoritarian, permissive, abusive? Kind of give me an idea, give me a window into what your childhood looked like.
1: Yeah, um, so I was raised in the Mormon church, um, and both of my parents were very active in the church. They held um, roles within the church, uh, callings is what they call it, Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, my dad was pretty high-ranking in our local church structure, Um, but they were very, I guess... um, They always expected the best of me at all times, Uh, whether it was grades or throwing me into, um, I think the last time I counted, I did five sports uh, growing up. Uh, I took music lessons from the time I could basically walk and talk, Um, basically expecting uh, perfection in everything I did. Um, very, very strict. Um, even until I was 18, uh, plus, um, I had a curfew of 10 PM, um, which I mean, I didn't have a whole lot of friends in the first place, but, um, uh, but very strict, very authoritarian. Um, it was something that I actually talked about a good bit in therapy was, um, realizing that I was able to have my own emotions without having to conceal them to make sure that I didn't get the brunt of somebody else's emotions
0: and that that's a hard lesson to learn especially when you've been raised in an environment that controls you so much and doesn't allow you to be your own person absolutely yeah Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad uh, that, that brings me to my next question. Are you in therapy now?
1: Um, I am not currently in therapy. I recently moved, uh, so I'm from Arkansas originally, uh, and then moved to Louisiana for college, um, and only, uh, in September moved back to Arkansas. Um, and I had a great therapist in Louisiana and haven't been, able um, And uh, so I had a great therapist in Louisiana, but haven't been able to find the right fit for me here in Arkansas yet.
0: Well, if you need help finding a therapist, I can definitely help you because I am in Arkansas and I can help you find one (laughs) because I have a good one. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Um, Now, at what point during your childhood or did you realize during your childhood that you had a uh, specific neurodivergences that was making your, um, your childhood more difficult or how does, how does your, um, the way you were raised in the Mormon church, how did that affect and uh, how did that affect your neurodivergences growing up?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I actually, uh, I was thinking about this earlier, um, but I, I think i first realized that i had a neurodivergence when i was 10 um in the mormon church uh everybody is especially specifically um girls are recommended that they keep a journal um and that is throughout everything everything that you do should be journaled and you should be able to look back on it and see your spiritual growth is the way that it was always put um and when I was moving out of my parents' house, um, at I was I have actually moved out at 16 uh, and went to a boarding school for two years, which was wonderful. Um, did you mean that sarcastically,
0: my... or are you or did you really oh, enjoy boarding school?
1: A bit of both. <laughs> it was very stressful. Um, it was uh, specifically for the what they called the best and brightest of the state. Um, and it was, it was great to be able to find myself there. Um, I was able to come to terms with my sexuality. Um, my gender didn't come till much later, but, um,
2: <laughs> a lot of times my... it doesn't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was able to really get to know a bunch of people that I never would have gotten to know in my small town and specifically in the Mormon community in that small town. Um, so I enjoyed that part of it. Um, but it wasn't very friendly to mental health in general.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it was, we were going from very different, all of the students we only had about a hundred in each class. Um, But we all came from very different walks of life and very different um, scholastic backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Um, And then all of us were being taught the same level of courses um, without much help. Um, And I mean, we were told going into it, if you aren't in tutoring after class every single day, you're already behind. Mm -hmm. Um, Which was not a great thing because i never had time to do anything but study um but also incredible amounts of stress um that's really when my panic disorder um really picked up was there because Mm -hmm. it was a constant fear of failing um Yeah, so it was a constant fear of failing there. And so, although it did help in some ways, it was definitely detrimental in others. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, so um, at 10, I, uh, back to the question, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Uh,
0: This is is how these podcasts go. (laughs) They just kind of (laughs) follow whatever rabbit trail we go down because that's how you tell your story. So you you feel free to bring in as many or or whatever details as you want to bring in from wherever you need to bring them in.
1: Absolutely. Um, At 10, I think I had just gotten, uh, according to this journal that I found, um, I had just gotten into a really big fight with my really only friend at the time. Um, And I really started to rely heavily on friends that I had made online. Um, granted, I was at this point pretending to be a good bit older than I was. Um, I had to mature very quickly. Um, and so, um, and I think that happens a lot with people that are, grow up in these super controlling circumstances where they have to grow up quickly because they are responsible for not only their own actions and feelings and thoughts, but they are made to be responsible for others as well. Mm.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, but I made a bunch of friends online and um, my family every summer would go camping for a week. And we would go old school camping, tents and middle of nowhere, no cell phone service, no electricity. Mm-hmm. Um, and like actual camping and not glamping. Like actual <laughs> camping, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, And so in that journal, it was just, I was so scared and so lonely. Um, I was surrounded by people that didn't understand me. That didn't understand me and were, seemed to think of me as, uh, in my own mind, the strange one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I was super nerdy. and uh, But my friends, my support group that I had, um, was really that only the only thing that was getting me through at that point. And I fell into a super deep depression. Uh, and it's all written down in these phrases and words of a 10-year-old.
2: Hmm.
1: And that was, I think, that's really the first time that I just straight up and down realized, oh, not everybody feels this way.
0: Yeah. It's like, oh, the 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 way that I'm feeling is not the normal. The this is something weird that probably needs to be dealt with.
1: Exactly. Um, and I actually, I think I brought it up um to my mom um a couple weeks months later mm-hmm. and um she just was like well if you're feeling that way it means you aren't reading the scriptures enough right you need to go pray more you need to go read the scriptures more you need to be more active in young women's um and and I- so that was just kind of the way that it was dealt with it wasn't hey your 10 year old is incredibly depressed. Maybe they should see somebody. No, it was here, have more religion.
0: And that tends to be the way that a lot of high control religions seem to act about um, neurodivergence, uh, people that fall into depressions, things like that. They tend to blame the victim. They're blaming Absolutely. you for your own problem. You, well, you you're depressed because you don't pray enough. Well, you're you're you have ADHD because there's a demon in you. You have mm-hmm. you know, a, and that was uh, I haven't talked a whole lot on this on this podcast about my specific upbringing, but I would I was not diagnosed with ADHD until I was v- like 40 years old because that was not even a question when I was a kid. It was. I would never have been tested because the, the religion that I was, that I was raised in didn't believe in doing things like that. Um, right. If you had a kid with ADHD, you just need to discipline them more because they're Mm -hmm. obviously not listening. Um, had nothing to do with any type of neurodivergence. That was, that was unheard of.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I didn't get diagnosed with, um, ADHD until, um, I was in college. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I mean, I always had super great grades, and so nobody would expect it of me. Um, like, I didn't show the stereotypical signs and symptoms of ADHD, but that's because you don't ever look. I don't say you don't ever. Um, specialists for a long time didn't look at people who are um, socialized as female, mm-hmm.
2: their
1: ADHD uh, symptoms.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They. I was, it was always judged on that of the people that are socialized as male.
0: Yes. Uh, in fact, in the, it was at the dsm four? they didn't even have a section to diagnose people who were um, socialized as females because they didn't, it, it didn't really seem to have a place to diagnose them because the, the symptoms are so different in people that are socialized female as a people, as opposed to socialized male that that people just assume that it didn't happen right um i've got i've got two kids that are 100 percent have adhd um my um assigned male at birth son presents like someone who was socialized female even though he was mm-hmm. not but his symptoms it's, it's been very hard to get him officially diagnosed because he doesn't present in such a way that you can go down and, and take the little test for him. You know, the, the well, does he does do this? Well, does he do this? Well, does he do this? And, um, it, he, he doesn't present in that way. So therefore they are refusing to diagnose him. Right. And that's really frustrating.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that you touched on something earlier that I kind of want to step back to Um, the victim blaming Mm -hmm. that a lot of people in these um, uh, high control religions go through. Um, And just for the listeners, uh, there will be uh, mentions of sexual assault uh, in this part. So if you are uncomfortable with that, please, please skip ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Um. But, um, I was groomed, uh, as a child in the church, um, by a person, uh, that was, uh, had a calling in the church, was a family friend, um, groomed and, uh, assaulted by this man, um, from the time I was 12 and then to 16, um. And when I had like finally told, or I never told my family about that happening at all Mm -hmm. um, because my family is still very close friends with them. Um, But part of that, um, I got into some very risky um, relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, And one in particular, I ended up um, being sexually assaulted and I waited months to tell anybody that it had happened um i had um, uh just fell into a super deep depression and um had a very bad time um, and when i finally told my parents um, i one was specifically told or was specifically asked if I had given um, mixed signals mm-hmm. um, or um, asked if um, I had agreed to at first time um, because in their mind, it didn't matter if I was already uh, I knew, according to them, the risk of dating before I was 16. Mm hmm. Um, and by taking that risk, um, I was already not being, uh, faithful enough. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when I was going through all that, I then had to go and talk to, um, a man in his late forties by myself. Uh, after I had already been assaulted and abused and tell him about every single detail that went on.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Um, and then told that I had to repent for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and not even the week I think the week after I told my parents and I had gone and gotten t- some testing and everything done Um did a uh, police report and that sort of thing Um, my dad was asked to go up on um, and give a talk about forgiveness oh my gosh and it was awful because not only was it like he was specifically told forgiveness for both parties wow um, and my dad refused to have to talk to talk about giving me forgiveness because he didn't feel like I needed that there was nothing that I needed to be forgiven for.
2: Mm-hmm. He
1: felt that there was nothing from, that I needed to be forgiven for. Um, but the just the audacity, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I think it's a good word of the church leadership at that point um just really even to this day shocks me and irks me Mm -hmm. quite
0: a bit well yeah i mean and and that's that's something that it seems to be in common with all high control religions as far as the victim blaming goes especially when you're dealing with um and and um, this is blanket I, i apologize for for tarring a bunch of christians with the same brush but it's enough of them (laughs) to be a problem um i don't know what it is about why they are so insistent that you must have brought this upon yourself i don't know why that has to be part of the equation there are no victims in there are no victims in the christian church i guess is what i'm saying because you must have done something to invite it you must not have put off enough signals to tell the person to stay away. You must have, you had to have encouraged them in some way. Exactly. And you yeah. see that over and over and over and over again with stories of sexual assault or um, any type of assault with a person in, in a type of church. There, there's, there's no room for a victim there. And I just, that's, that's something I just don't understand. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and that's
0: I used to that understand I, it because I was so damned indoctrinated that I absolutely. understood it. But now, looking looking back at the way that I was raised and and looking back at the at these thoughts that were in my head at the time I was living through this, it all a hundred percent makes sense because the indoctrination is so deep. You have no oh, other context to look at it.
1: It's incredibly real when you're in it, mm-hmm. and then. A, a lot of my healing process has been uh and I mean even now I with PTSD in particular um I mean healing is never linear um it can seem like it for a little bit but something that's always important to myself is that when I do fall back in my healing that it doesn't mean that I'm any I'm less of a person or less good at healing, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and sometimes I'll be out there, I'll be out in the world and something will happen. And the foremost thought in that moment is something that I was super indoctrinated with.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And where I'm like, wait, no, that absolutely does not align with my current morals.
2: hmm
0: um let's replace that
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's a Um, it's a
0: good thing that you've gotten to that point though
1: (laughs) it is and it's something that I had to work really hard on um but um yeah so all of that happened within the church um and the victim blaming was awful um but when I was 16 I was basically able to leave um, I'm still pushed to go um, even through this incredibly grueling school work um, but um, was able to kind of put it off mm-hmm. um, oh no I have to, uh, for me to go out of, from the school I had to pull my card and I forgot to do it oh no I can't go <laughs> uh, <laughs> um,
2: whoops but, <laughs> whoops sorry
1: I can't go to an extra hour of classes at six in the morning. Sorry. (laughs) Um, I didn't get to bed till two in the morning, but you know what? still can't do it. Sorry. Um,
0: I blamed COVID and haven't been back to church since. The last time I was in a church was February of 2020, and I've been blaming COVID this entire time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know what? If it's there, use it. Get something good out of COVID. (laughs)
2: Why not? <laughs> um,
1: but in um, I talked about finding my sexuality, and coming to terms with it. Um, but I didn't come out to my parents until I was oh god, um, nineteen twenty, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. Um, I was out of the house. I have been for years, um, and I. Uh, was living with my partner, um, and in to my parents, I, my partner was my roommate. That was it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, my mom, has always done this fun thing where she waits until you're trapped in a car mm-hmm. or somewhere where you cannot easily escape from, and then always asks the hard questions. <laughs> Um, she did it all throughout my childhood anytime I um, was in trouble she would wait till I was in the car and I couldn't lie to her face about it mm-hmm. Um, or dodge the subject or anything like that Um, well I ended up getting a small medical procedure done in Little Rock and I couldn't have driven myself so I asked my mom to bring me and after the procedure, she was bringing me home. And um, so already have had a very stressful, very busy day. And she just goes, so you and my partner's name, um, what's going on there?
0: Oh, so mom figured it out.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: How did mom figure it out? Is mom just that observant or?
1: It was a very weak lie as <laughs> just roommates in the first place we were living four people in a two bedroom apartment (laughs)
0: Uh, (laughs) oh darn we've got to share the room oh my yeah
1: (laughs) we're roommates (laughs) Uh, it was like I said a very weak lie I was 18 I thought it would work (laughs) (laughs) um but, Mom asked me, and I am up to this point, I had my partner and I had been together for i want to say at least a year, probably a year and a half
0: um, I apologize that was my kid again.
1: <laughs> you're fine um and for a- I had really wanted to tell my family uh my sister and I are my little sister uh she's two years younger than me
2: mm-hmm.
1: she and I are really close we could not get along at all when I was living at home
2: mm-hmm.
1: but as soon as, as soon as I moved out it was perfect we're definitely the type of siblings that get to get that get along so much better when our time together is limited mm-hmm. <laughs> um and I wanted to tell my family that I was happy and this was the person that I'd chosen to spend my life with. And I couldn't because I was so afraid of being disowned.
0: Oh my gosh. And
1: it caused me panic attacks. Nightly. Um, and so this finally happened and um. I was out of the church fully um, at that point uh, for about a year um, because uh, although I was, I hadn't told my family about my relationship, um, I w- went to college in a fairly small town mm-hmm. and so we would go, my partner and I would go out uh, to t- into town or whatever, go out to dinner and the church members would see us. And obviously a couple. Um, And I was basically given the choice of uh, go through excommunication hearings or remove my um, records. Mm -hmm. And because I didn't want to bring that shame that excommunication comes with to my family,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I chose to remove my records. I wasn't going to church anyway. I didn't care. Um, But more out of thoughts for them. Um, I knew that the Mormon church didn't align with my, uh, with me in general. Um, Everything about me was in complete contrast to the perfect wife Mm -hmm. um, in the Mormon uh, teachings. And then, of course, I had issues with the history of the church and things Mm -hmm. like that.
0: Now, um, how did your how did your specific deconstruction start? Did it start with somebody showed you a different way to look at this? Did it start with your assault? Did it how how did your deconstruction journey begin?
1: Uh, so, my deconstruction actually started. I think with um, I'm not entirely sure the first time that it really started adding things to the shelf mm-hmm. um i know that by the time i was 12 i was still doing everything in my power to be the perfect mormon
0: girl
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and,
0: and that, by the time that's that's a that's a tough thing to be because there's there's a lot of restrictions to that and a lot of expectations oh absolutely um part of it being a girl mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> Well, you're already starting Uh, out behind at that point.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Um, I mean, by the time I was 15, I still... I mean... Yeah, 15, 16 years old, I still fully expected me, uh, myself, to get married to a straight man and have couple kids and just kind of push who I was down mm-hmm. uh, because that was what was expected of me
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, so at that point but, at, at age 12 or 13 did you already kind of know that your, your sexuality or your gender was a little wonky different. yeah different <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say different <laughs> but sure yeah. we'll go with wonky <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, I did. Um, I remember just trying so hard um, to be what was expected of me and pushing so much of my, of my own personality and wants and needs down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I very distinctly remember, like, having crushes on girls. And just being like, oh my gosh, they're so pretty. And in the same thought, oh no, I can't think like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is, I think, really what started it was um, realizing that my sexuality did not line up with the church. Mm -hmm. Um, And then from there, I learned more and more things about the history of the church. And... um, The fact that, hey, yeah, um, you can be gay and in the church, um, but you have to be celibate and, um, you have to completely eschew any ability to speak out as to who you are Mm -hmm. to still gather the, uh, to still garner the approval of the church, Mm -hmm. um, And that was something I wasn't willing to do. Um, I will say that my shelf 100% broke in 2015, I think it was, Mm -hmm. um, when uh, the Mormon church um, announced that the children of gay couples would not be allowed to be baptized within the church Oh, wow. Um, because their parents were bad examples as to, they could not provide a um, home where the Holy Spirit could dwell. Wow. And I was just like, okay, yeah, um, you obviously don't care about any of us. But so even, if, I, I wasn't even that active in the church at that point, but that was really the point where I was just like, Oh no, this isn't happening anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But my uh, shortly after that um, is when my mom asked uh, what was up between my partner and I Mm -hmm. and a bit of context, I guess Uh, the Mormon church believes that if you are a member of the church, And you go through the temple and you take the secret rites. They're they're sacred, not secret, according to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And go through these secret rites and things like that. um, Then you will receive the highest, upon your death, you will receive the highest level of glory. Mm -hmm. Called the celestial kingdom. And when you die, you are reconnected with your family that are sealed to you in the temple. As long as your family is also good, faithful members of the church. I told my mom, because I was in the car with her, I was already exhausted, and I couldn't lie to her face in that (laughs) moment um, that my partner and I were together. And she looked me straight in the eye and said, you are the reason that I cannot have all of my family happily together after I die in the celestial kingdom. Oh, wow. You are ruining that chance for me.
0: Oh, my gosh. And that, that's cel- thats pretty effed up to put on a kid.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, definitely still a kid. I was only 20, like 19, 20 years old. And so
0: if my shelf wasn't broken before that it was then Mm -hmm. well yeah it pretty much would have to be
1: at that point because
0: oh my goodness oh my goodness wow um let's see what you know you've talked about your parents uh you know kind of bringing you up in this in this high control environment and uh not being super supportive um what does your support system look like now um do you have a support system um does it involve your family at all have you had to put up boundaries for them so that you can live your life or or how what what does your support system look like right now
1: yeah so um boundaries was something that i really worked hard on in therapy um and since moving back to my hometown um I have definitely had to put up boundaries to be able to have a healthy relationship with my family. Now that I'm back. Um, and I'm only there partially. Um, but, um, I am still in contact with my family. I see them about once a week. Um, I am part of my nephew's life, which is wonderful. Um, my support system is mostly my partner, um, mm-hmm. and I have a few really great friends, as well as a, an incredibly supportive Dungeons and Dragons party.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, love Dungeons and Dragons. I've, I've just recently started playing Dungeons and Dragons, and unfortunately, we have missed our last three sessions, which has just been oh awful. No we've had like two oh. sessions together and that's it and then we've had to miss like for various reasons in the next three so I just got into D&D and then like everything has happened to prevent me from playing it and I'm like you oh, know what so good. <laughs> this, is, this is so frustrating I've got such a good character too it I mean for it to be like the first character that I've ever built you know I feel really good about her and and right. I think she'll be a fun character to play and you just need I, to have that opportunity. Just need to have the opportunity. Hopefully it'll come this Sunday because that's when our next Hopefully. game is scheduled. Of course it would be mother's day and then.
1: That's true.
0: Yeah. So I don't, I don't, I don't even know what this is going to look like this next <laughs> week, but there you go. <laughs> but yeah, is Dungeons and Dragons one of those things that your, your mother told you was, uh, was evil and you need to stay away from it because Not it was going to really. invite demons into your life. Not
1: really. Actually. Uh, that was something that was never really a, um, issue i guess um in my house i grew up reading harry potter um and i grew up we didn't play video games um because my parents believed that it would rot your brain Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and so like the only thing i ever got to watch on tv was like the discovery channel and uh things like that which i mean i'm a microbiologist now so maybe but um (laughs) Uh, i also play a lot of video games
0: (laughs) oh nice um
1: but um no that was never really um the whole oh that's demonic or that's going to invite devils or demons or whatever was never really a thing in my family Mm -hmm. Uh, but i know a lot of my uh friends that grew up evangelical
0: absolutely had that issue um let's see let me ask you this um so you said you've got um did we did we discuss what your specific uh, neurodivergences were i know we discussed it before i started recording but i don't know if we've actually discussed it since i started recording um uh,
1: yes i think i did it in my in uh, in my opening okay but just to re. uh <laughs> Just to say it again,
0: um, I have ADHD
1: and complex post-traumatic stress disorder.
0: Okay. Now, your specific neurodivergence, does uh, it it tends to go one of two ways. You either remember everything in stark detail about your assault and about the way you were raised, or you have gigantic gaps in your memory because your brain is trying to protect you. Um, Which one did you get? Um, I actually got the gigantic
1: uh, uh, lapses of memory, um, but it has actually gotten better. Um, So I did uh, EMDR therapy for Mm -hmm. over a year. Um, And so I don't know if you've talked about that before, but um, it's uh, eye movement. uh, Let me make sure I get this right. Uh, Eye movement desensitization desensitization and reprocessing therapy Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, and so basically you're recounting the um, traumatic events and going uh, and you're constantly moving your eyes and focusing on your feelings Mm -hmm. how your body is feeling in that moment while describing these events Um, and it's often used for PTSD Um, I think it's almost exclusively used for PTSD Um, but while doing EMDR I actually unlocked a lot of memories um, that I obviously didn't remember um, because I blocked out a lot of my childhood even still there's a lot that I just don't have access to See, like
0: my... I, I got that as well. I got that. I think it's a combination of trauma and ADHD that affects my time sense and affects my mm-hmm. memory, um, which, yay, you know, fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My partner
1: has the best memory. Uh, he'll just be like, oh, yeah, this, this happened on this day of this year. What do you mean you don't remember that? You were there. Right.
0: And you're then you remember other I things, remember. and you're like, "No, I remember exactly details. I remember the stitching on their shirt." <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> like you're <laughs> lucky if I remember what I ate from lunch yesterday. Yeah.
0: <laughs> God, I love having neurodivergence. There's so much fun. So much <laughs> <The> fun. <best. laughs> Now it, it sounds like um, it sounds like you kind of got out of your high control religion before you really started a lot of treatment for your neurodivergence. Is that is that correct?
1: Oh, it, absolutely. I got no treatment for my neurodivergence until after I got out. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I say that I was in therapy for two months, maybe uh, after I told my family about my assault. Mm -hmm. Um, And very quickly found out what I needed to say, and I do not recommend this to anybody, (laughs) Um, but found out what I needed to say to get out of there. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I was going to a um, religious counselor and who was in the same vein of well you just need to pray more about it you just need to fully give yourself to god and Mm -hmm. all of that and then couldn't remember my name yeah uh so i did that for two months and that just gave me anxiety about going to therapy (laughs) fun yeah you know (laughs) exactly what i needed (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah, so it wasn't until I could actually pay for myself and um, make sure that I was getting what I needed. Um, so I was in college before I really was able to um,
0: get therapy and get help for my neurodivergence. Mm-hmm. So obviously the church did not help with any of this. Um, no, no absolutely not. (laughs) And you, you kind of had to come into your own. Um, what did that feel like when you made the decision, like, I will be getting help for this, regardless to what I have been raised and indoctrinated as, you know, what, what was the change that went through in your mind where you realized this is a better idea than suffering with this?
1: Oh, I mean, it was terrifying first off. Um, because growing up, I thought therapy was only for people that were very legitimately broken.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but. I got to the point where. I was having panic attacks. Every day of the week. Oh gosh. And I couldn't sleep. Because the moment. I tried to lay down and. Go to sleep. mm mm-hmm. My brain would just continue racing. And I would have another panic attack. Um. I was constantly afraid of what I would say to who or to whom rather Mm -hmm. Um, because I was afraid of it getting back to somebody who had more power than I did or Mm -hmm. things like that Um, and eventually I was just like I cannot continue on like this Mm -hmm. I'm failing my classes and I'm in college I'm failing my (laughs) classes I'm paying for these classes myself um, and I can't sleep, and I can't focus enough to study.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Something has to give, and I wasn't willing for it to be my education
0: and it, it It takes different things to kind of trigger you into getting help, I guess absolutely. and I'm yeah. glad that you had that thing <laughs> that got you <laughs> <Me> into... too. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you had that moment. Um, now I believe that we discussed, um, I don't want to dig you into something you don't want to talk about, but when you and I were discussing, uh, going over this podcast, you said that, um, you had, um, had an attempt or you had made an attempt on yourself. Yes. Um, do you feel comfortable explaining what led up to that and then how you got through it? Yeah. Uh, so and uh, tr- trigger, I- warnings for, uh, trigger warnings for trigger warnings for self harm and uh, uh, suicide in this part. Yes. Um, when
1: after my sexual assault, um, I engaged in a lot of. I think it's it's very common knowledge that a lot of times um, when somebody lives through a sexual assault Uh, there are really two very common ways that um, people tend to go afterwards Mm -hmm. either hypersexual or very Mm -hmm. non-sexual and very touch avoidant Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, and so I actively went into a very hypersexual phase Um, And making very, very poor decisions. Mm -hmm. um, With very poor decisions of people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And as a form of self-harm, honestly. um, I needed to feel something. Even if that something was shame. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I did that for about three or four months um and constantly in that time um self-harm was really my way of coping through most of my late tween early teen years Mm -hmm. um just from the depression and anxiety i had um but after my assault um I was in constant fear of an unwanted pregnancy and things like that. And constant suicide ideation of, like, if there's no way that, like, if I were um, to get pregnant from this or something like that, I couldn't tell my family. Mm -hmm. There, Even if I did, there was nothing that they would do. Abortion was completely completely against everything they stood for Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and i could not see myself carrying a child from an assault Mm -hmm. um and i was just like if i end up pregnant it's not ever going to happen Mm -hmm. like i cannot go on with that um and i would rather die than do then go through with it Mm -hmm. um and luckily that never happened but i was being uh during that time uh like i said i was making very poor choices because of my um, mental state at that time Mm -hmm. and so i started getting a reputation around my very small town um And so I was being bullied constantly and I could not deal with that. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't have anyone to talk to because everybody's parents were like, no, you can't be friends with her, with them. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I didn't have any support system, um, I was constantly being grounded because um, I either wouldn't go out with people that my parents wanted me to go spend time with or I was spending too much time with people they didn't want me spending time with Mm -hmm. or anything like that. And so I constantly had my phone taken away or, excuse me, access to the internet or, I mean, even at some points, I had my books taken away. Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, And and what, what did, what did that, or what was that, the hope of that to accomplish? I have no idea.
1: (laughs) Um, I think it was more to just bend me to their will. Mm -hmm. Of, hey, if uh, I can, you can get these things back if you just do
0: what we want you to do. Um, Sorry. (laughs) The dog decided we were being too quiet. <laughs> no, hush, 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 hush. He thinks he hears somebody outside the door. He, he is the funny, he's a, I'm sorry, that was really loud. He's a Jack Russell and he thinks he's 10 feet tall, but he is also terrified of everything. So he just, he's he's an idiot. <laughs> I apologize. Okay, now that that pulled us out of the storytelling. <laughs> um let's see okay so sorry about that my phone decided that now was a good time to have an alarm so everything is going wrong at the same time so if you've made it this far in the podcast congratulations you got the main part (laughs) this is just one of those nights I almost slept through the podcast it was a whole big thing but Now, do you know of anybody um when you were growing up or now who's going through something similar as you um, that you could call a friend um are, are you are you kind of helping anyone deal with their issues the way that that you wish you had had help you know had, um, what what do you what does your outreach look like or or do you have one uh so
1: yeah, I'm not actively helping anybody through at this moment um I I'm a part of several different groups um, on Facebook and such um, that help people through their faith transition, um, specifically from the Mormon church. Um, But other than just giving my own uh, assistance where I can, uh, not really doing anything other than that.
0: And that's okay. I want everybody to understand that's that's okay. Um, if if you don't have the spoons to, to kind of get out there, that's cool. If you do, that's also cool. Everybody kind of uh, kind of approaches this with, with their own their own um, their own abilities. Um, so, you know, I, I hope I didn't make you feel bad by asking you that question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh no, not at all.
0: Now, just to kind of bring this uh, a little bit to a close, cause we're, we're an hour in and that's, that's usually a pretty good, uh, a pretty good length on these podcasts. Um, what do you feel our listeners should know about how to navigate a high control upbringing and neurodivergence? I think that it's
1: just you are going to be the person that knows the most about you and how you feel Mm -hmm. do not allow anybody to tell you how you should feel or that the way that you feel is wrong because nobody can know that but you and don't give in to i understand it's a coping mechanism and gods know I did it long enough myself Um, don't try to fit into the mold that was given because you are already the perfect mold of yourself
2: Mm -hmm.
0: absolutely 100% and don't let anybody gaslight you into thinking that you're not enough exactly absolutely okay well Morgan is there anything that you would like to add at the end? Would you like to plug a website, plug a project that you're doing, um, throw your Twitter out there? Uh, Anything you'd like to plug? Uh, Yeah,
1: so um, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, um, my Twitter is, let me pull it up real quick. Um, It is uh, at microbio underscore rock.
0: At microbio underscore rocks.
1: Yep. Okay. Um and I am super willing to talk with anybody about anything I talked about today. Um I am kind of an open book. Uh it may take me a little bit to get back to you if you do get in contact with me. Um I have a very busy life right now, which is surprising. <laughs> <laughs> um but I am so happy that there's a podcast like this that's out here. Um, it's really, really good to know that people are getting information out about the difficulty of growing up in these sort of situations. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't think that this is a voice that is heard enough. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and and you need to know if you are currently in a high control environment, a high control religion, a cult, um, just anything that is trying to control you or your body or the way that you think, it doesn't have to be a religion or a cult. It can just be a partner who is doing these things. You need to know it is okay for you to get out of that. It is okay for you to try to get away from it. And- I promise you, I promise you, reach out. Somebody will be there to help you. You don't don't have to stay in something that makes you feel like less of a person.
1: Exactly. I think, I don't think anybody could have put that better than that
0: right there. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, (laughs) I try. Um, But, okay. So, uh, Morgan, we're going to go ahead and bring this to a close. Thank you so much for joining me. You are welcome on the podcast anytime. Anytime time and I'm definitely gonna have you back um, to kind of see where you've gone from here and just kind of keep in touch with you. Um, but I really, I really do appreciate your time and thank you so much for joining us tonight. And thank you for having me on, it was a pleasure. All right. And that was Morgan's story and I want to thank them so much for coming on the podcast. As I said before, they are welcome to come back any, any time. I really enjoyed talking with them. And I I want people who have made it this far in the podcast, I want them to see themselves in Morgan. Um, I want somebody who right now is living through what Morgan lived through to hear this podcast and say, oh, my gosh, they got out. I can, too. Um, oh, my gosh, it doesn't have to stay this like this forever. Um, I want you to know that there are resources out there. There are people who are out there that can help you. If you need help getting out of a high-control environment, please, please, please reach out to me. Reach out to Morgan. There are resources out there that can help you. If you want to catch me on Twitter, I'm at CricketShea, S-H-E-A. Um, you can get me on, on Twitter, on Instagram. Find my Facebook hook up with me there. Uh, I I, I love new friends. (laughs) And I do have to tell you one thing that has absolutely taken over my life in the last two weeks is a little show on HBO called our flag means death. So that's the last thing that I'm going to plug before I uh, kick it out of here tonight. Um, If you want to watch one of the most epic romance stories I have ever seen in my entire life, you need to watch the silly little pirate show it is a beautifully beautifully written romance that will just drag you into it the first three episodes are silly pirates and the rest of it is the most beautifully written romance i've ever seen um it's a ride guys it's got taika Waititi in it it's created by david jenkins um uh reese darby is uh plays one of the pirates i mean it, it's just it's, it's full of awesome characters so give it a try so we're gonna bring it to an end for this for this week thank you so much for listening guys and uh come on back and see me next time bye